You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction story titled Hope by today's guest fanfiction writer, Ceteris Paribus. It started snowing again. Actually, less like snow. More like sleet. Cold, wet sleet that slipped under the collar of his jacket. He pulled the hood over his head. Barely helped. He had the strangest feeling as he started the long walk back to the apartment that he wanted to cry. Not just let a few tears fall, but curl up in a ball with chest-heaving sobs. Just get everything out. All the torn-up feelings still inside him. Vented. Then maybe he could actually move on. But there was just... No point. And crying was exhausting. And he was in public. So, it just wasn't worth it. He took a few deep breaths and walked a little faster. Letting the harsh wind snap him out of himself. But it was weird. Stuffing down everything he was feeling made it all seem to... Kind of fade. Somehow. It hurt less, so that was good. But it was also just... less. It felt a little wrong. A little scary, actually. Almost like he was hurting himself. But what choice did he have? He tucked his chin down to his chest, fixed his eyes on the ground in front of him, and walked on towards an apartment that would never feel like home. He passed the hours studying for the GED between working on the two tech projects he'd managed to scrounge up. The problems were all so obvious, it was boring. Maybe in a few months he'd have more of a name for himself and could get more jobs. Interesting jobs. But in the meantime, at least he was helping people. If only he didn't have to charge for it. Maybe he shouldn't charge for it. Not like he was making rand anyway. Food, though. Food was important. His stomach growled again. He gave in and grabbed crackers and peanut butter from the cupboard over the sink. Cheap stuff that was at least kind of mostly filling. Slumping down back on the bed, he chewed on a mouthful of peanut butter and finished up the second project. Then before he could stop himself or even consciously realize what he was doing, he found himself on Instagram, scrolling through Ned's account. It wasn't private anymore. Ned never really cared about stuff like privacy. He'd only made the account private in the first place when Peter's identity was revealed. Now that he didn't have to worry about that anymore, his social media was back to normal. Someone should really talk to him about that. It wasn't safe. But at the same time, Peter couldn't be too upset about it. Thanks to Ned, he was able to see pictures of MJ. Thanks to Ned, he could make sure both of them were still safe. Them at the coffee shop. Them at lunch. MJ laughing because Ned accidentally started a fire in AP Physics. Or maybe it wasn't accidental. Peter couldn't stop looking at the pictures. Weird how a person could feel so happy and so heartbroken at the same time. the north.
north, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fanfiction writer today is Ceteris Paribus, and she has been a member of AO3 since 2018. She has 67 fanfiction works posted for fandoms like Daredevil, Spider-Man, The Punisher, Jessica Jones, Prodigal Son, and a host of other very cool fandoms. Ceteris Paribus is also an attorney by profession, and we are so happy that she is here. Ceteris Paribus, thank you so much for joining us here on the Fanfic Maverick today. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come chat with us. Of course. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I always like to start at the very beginning with folks you know, just to kind of get people to know you a little bit. And we'd like to start here with your history with fan fiction, because everybody has an origin story, right? Since we're talking about superhero stories today, everyone has a fan fiction origin story. Tell us about yours. Do you remember reading or finding your very first fan fiction? Sort of. It de- depends on how you define it, because I remember as a kid loving Star Wars and then going to the library and finding books that were not written by George Lucas, and that blew my mind. Um, that people are writing books about about the movies and and kind of expanding beyond it. And I don't know if that would technically count as fan fiction or not, but for me as a kid, that kind of jump-started my love for expanding beyond something that's established. So I remember going home and writing my own Star Wars story, and it got like, you know, 2,000 words in, and then I quit. But that's, I think, where it started. But if you're asking about reading online, I think... I don't remember clearly, but probably the Daredevil fandom was where I first started reading stories online. So, and that was years later. It took a long time for me to find, you know, ff.net and AO3. <laughs> no, no, you know, no worries. Some of us, it takes us a lot, kind of a long time to, you know, get into the swing of things and stuff. Would you say that you were like more high school, college age when you first discovered like online fandom with fan fiction and all that? Yeah, I think I started reading it online in probably late high school and then didn't start writing it until law school. So I had a long time to kind of build up to actually plunging in myself. But then in the meantime, reading it was just so fun, um, especially when you're not always getting new content as much as you would want. So then you turn to fan fiction. It's like, oh, people are providing me new content on their own. How lovely. I know. Isn't that like the coolest thing in the world, though? <laughs> like, There's just so much out there. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, did you know about fan fiction before you started reading it online? Or was it like this crazy thing that you discovered and were like, whoa, I didn't even know people did that? So I remember somehow having a sense. I think, you know, okay, probably, <laughs> this is so bad, but probably my first kind of understanding of, of fan fiction besides like the Star Wars stuff would have been like Twilight, Fifty Shades, like that whole transition. So my initial impression was was kind of negative because of all that. And so I sort of saw it as like, I don't know, maybe maybe kind of copying the original or an excuse to explore things that you don't want to talk about in front of your parents. And I saw it in a very narrow sense. And it and took until like actually kind of taking the plunge and reading it more that I realized, okay, there's a, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than that. That's awesome, though. That's so awesome because, like, it's it just it's so funny to me how different people discover it and what different people's like takes are on it. And I know that some people like they don't even have a concept of fan fiction when they just stumble upon it accidentally, you know. <laughs> and they're like, "What is this?" And then other people, you know, they hear through the grapevine about this thing that people do. 
and they just kind of stay away from it for a long time until they discover like, oh, this is actually really cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I think I probably had heard it through the grapevine, but because of my associations with like Fifty Shades of Grey, I sort of stayed away from it. And then, and then I think probably what happened is I remember like looking for Tumblr posts before I even had Tumblr. This is how peripheral I was, but I would try to find Tumblr posts that like escaped containments into the rest of the internet. And then some of those would reference fan fiction and AO3. And then eventually I found, I think I found FF.net first. And then I got really confused by the tags and had to figure out that whole system. But now I'm very thankful for it. So it was, it was a very slow journey for me, for sure. I was going to say, to me, that sounds like this slow descent into fan fiction <laughs> madness. You know, like, <laughs> slowly like falling bread- into yeah. an abyss. <laughs> exactly. Following little breadcrumbs in the dark, dark forest of the internet. That's yeah. so funny. I love that, though. That is so cool. And so it sounds like Daredevil is kind of the thing that got you interested in even like peripherally looking for this stuff. Okay. Well, no, I, I do remember. Cause I, so one of your questions is about which fandom I got into first is to jump in ahead a bit. But um, I think the Harry Potter fandom is where I started looking for more like interaction. And so that's where I remember looking for like the Tumblr posts and the metas and then realizing that there was this whole world out there that's exploring these characters and these stories in so much more depth. And so then I think that was really my foray into like fandom as a community. And that introduced me to the idea of fan fiction, but I didn't really, I wasn't involved enough in the, in the Harry Potter world to go very deep into that so oh that's all good that being your first like experience with online fandom do you feel like that was a good experience for you to kind of be like whoa all these other people yeah online screaming about this thing like (laughs) what was really nice was that because I was kind of again I was I was looking at what kind of escaped onto like Facebook or just my Google image searches um I wasn't interacting and I think that was nice to kind of get a sense of what the rules are before jumping in and kind of figuring out like fandom etiquette right so that way I think I avoided making some mistakes that maybe would have been I'm sure forgiven but kind of embarrassing (laughs) so it was nice to see kind of how other people did it and then slowly start to be like okay I can I can start commenting on stories too and I can start I mean I didn't get a tumblr until later but I but but by the time that I did get a tumblr I'd already seen how those kind of conversations are sort of supposed to look like and so that I think gave me a lot of confidence when I started being more interactive with it. I love that story because, you know, I've been in fandoms for a really long time, like since the late 90s. And for a long time, man, that was the unspoken rule of how you were supposed to do it. Was it really? That's how it used to be. You were expected when you first joined these online communities to linger for a bit and watch what everybody else did. That is so valid. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was considered the polite thing to do when you join a new community online. You kind of, you know, watch what's going on. So you kind of get a feel for what's okay and not okay and all that stuff. So (laughs) I'm fascinated that you just kind of instinctually, uh, you know, knew that that was the way to do it. It's an old school way to do it, but it's very cool. Because otherwise, otherwise, either either you start losing all those norms and etiquettes, which is not good, or you put other people, your fellow fandom community members, in the very awkward position of having to try to correct you. And it's just, yeah, why not avoid that by observing first and, and trying to figure it out a little bit? Exactly. Save everybody some time, guys. Save everybody some time. So and some yeah. drama. <laughs> and some drama. Yeah. So you know, for all you kiddos out there, uh, that is the uh, <laughs> old school established way that it's supposed to be done. That's so great. Okay, so 
that kind of leads me into my next question, right? Because so we have established that you kind of had this uh, sort of you know, maybe negative is not, maybe that's not the right word, but you had some preconceived notions of what fan fiction was. Thank you, Fifty Shades of Grey. Can't blame you for that one, by the way. It, I mean, it was pretty ubiquitous. That, that Yeah, it, exactly. Exactly. So you cannot be blamed for that. Um, and then you slide from there to your like online fandom experiences, the Harry Potter and everything. And then eventually you start hitting, you know, Daredevil fan fiction. And Obviously, we know you write fan fiction at this point, and you've been doing so for for a while. So you you have this like progressive journey <laughs> with fan fiction, and I suspect that your thoughts and perspectives on fan fiction may have evolved in that time, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe a little maybe, bit, maybe, right? <laughs> Shocking. So me. I would love to know what your thoughts are about fan fiction as a concept, like. What are your favorite things about fan fiction? What do you think makes fan fiction unique and compelling and all that good stuff? I have so many thoughts, so cut me off if I start rambling too much. But I think, and I've seen this discussed a lot online, so I know that a lot of other people see it this way too. There's something very comforting about having some characters, like finding the characters that you love and just kind of sticking with them. And you don't have to go through the, frankly, the, the emotional effort of finding new characters the way that you would with the traditional publishing of, of novels, where unless you're lucky and you get a giant series, but even then it's only one person, so it just it's not enough content, and eventually you kind of have to branch out to new stories, and that's just, I don't know, it's, it's a change, and some of us don't like change. <laughs> some of us like to stick with the people that we love, and so... And even, even if you have, obviously, um, some alternate universes, then that might involve learning some new rules of those other universes, but you can still come back to these core characters and then just kind of see them thrown into different situations. So that's one of my favorite things about fan fiction generally. But then I was also, I would also want to say that as a writer, I love the freedom that you have with fan fiction because I've, I grew up kind of, I was such a nerd about this, like reading books on writing and publishing because that's a dream of mine. And there are a lot of rules that you have to follow um, if you want to publish in any kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of expanding in terms of like indie publishing and self-publishing, but generally speaking, there are still kind of expected rules for, for genre and pacing and all these things that you sort of have to stick to. And in some ways, I think that those limitations can actually inspire more creativity, but the kind of concepts that I want to explore with my writing need a lot of time and more words, frankly, than you can usually afford to have in if you're going the traditional publishing route. And so I really love with fan fiction that I have the freedom to take as long as I want. And if, if I want to spend three chapters of two characters just kind of talking about something, I can do that and no one can stop me. <laughs> so <laughs> I might get some comments that are like, wow, uh, lost the plot here. And I'll be like, yeah, that's, yep, that's okay. <laughs> Who needs plot? <laughs> I have existential angst. <laughs> Nobody over your shoulder to tell you you can't. Mm-hmm. It's glorious. And and word counts. You know, you some of my favorite stories are like 500,000 words long. And you have to be an incredibly well-established author in like in the real traditional publishing industry to be able to get away with that. But here, anybody can write, you know, a million words if they want to. And no one, again, no one can stop them. Ah, I love that. So for you, it sounds like just the freedom of it all. Uh, yes. The freedom to do absolutely whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. 
I love it. Free country, right? Free country, baby. <laughs> it's the Wild West. <laughs> it, is. it is. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm from the West here. So uh, to me, that's like a super special. Yes. Wild, wild West. <laughs> and yet, and yet, despite the fact that it's the Wild West, I think I, I mentioned the tags before and the tagging system is so cool because it, like, I love tropes and the tags are this built-in way to kind of identify what tropes you're intentionally trying to use. And you can build a story around the tropes, or you can use the tropes to, like, lure people in. And and so that gives a little bit of... I don't know if I want to say order to the Wild Wild West, because it's not really order, but at least it's, like, categorizing the Wild Wild West. Yes! Yes! <laughs> categorizing the Wild Wild West uh, so that we can at least find what we want in the great expanse of the fanfiction mm-hmm. universe. And what a gift, right? Because if there's oh. something very specific that you want or you like, oh, you can find it, baby. You can find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, incidentally, I've seen some posts, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, that say, um, for someone in the legal profession, that being experienced with like archive of our own actually helps you in your profession with searching for cases because the search system of these databases is it's not as good as AO3. Let's be let's be clear about that, but it's better than like Google. And so you've got some of these maybe older attorneys who aren't as familiar with the internet in general, or you have people who don't know fan fiction. And so they kind of struggle to to do these um, detailed searches. And thanks to AO3, I am very used to that kind of thing. So. Well, how about that? Fan fiction has brought real life skills into your profession in a positive way. It's honestly brought a lot of real life skills into that, not just the searching, but that's that's definitely one factor is the searching. Oh, I was going to say, I'm sure that the writing skills that you have built up, uh-huh. <laughs> right, with uh, with fan fiction writing translate very well also. I Yeah, I, th- I think so. And just, well, storytelling in general, because law is a very stiff profession behind the scenes, but then if you get in front of a jury, you have to be able to tell a story. And my readers know that I feel like I hate description, I'm really bad at it, but at least with fan fiction, I've got I've forced myself to practice describing things. And then if you're trying to set up a case for a jury, you have to kind of set the scene and give them the context and show them why this matters and why it matters that they would give up, you know, a whole day or two or a week of their life to come watch this. And so storytelling is really important for being a good advocate if you're going to actually be at trial. So what you're saying is, kids... <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever let anybody tell you that you're wasting your time Amen. with reading yes. and writing, Preach right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that. I love hearing how these skills can and do translate into like real life aspects. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It is very, very cool. And I always love hearing stories about that. It like never ceases to amaze me <laughs> or just like make me super excited and happy. So <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about Spider-Man and Daredevil today because these are the fandoms that we're going to cover because the fan fiction story that we are covering for you today is, um, I guess we would call it a crossover, right? <laughs> Between Spider-Man and Daredevil. I mean, they're they're in the same universe technically. They're in the same movie technically. Yeah, they're in the same movie technically, <laughs> which was like... Yeah, that was fantastic, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I want to know about your background here with Spider-Man and Daredevil. How did you get into these two fandoms and what are your favorite things about these? Yeah, so I got into the Daredevil fandom first. I'm sorry, Spider-Man fandom, but you're just you're really big. And it was frankly kind of intimidating because there were like three different Spider-Man worlds and then that's not even counting the comics and I just was like whoa I, I love the character from what I had seen from the movies and what I'd seen from like when I popped up in other other fan fiction but I just 
was a little bit nervous about jumping in myself with the whole fandom. But with Daredevil, <laughs> um, I actually got into the... I started watching this show because there was this guy that I had a crush on. And he was talking to another guy that I had had a crush on before he married someone else. Like a fool. And <laughs> they were <laughs> talking about how much they loved Daredevil. And I was like, oh. Um, one, I trust their judgment because obviously I like them. And two, maybe if I... If I watch this, I can talk about it with the one guy who's, like, still available. And didn't work out with either of them, actually. But I got Matt Murdock, and I think that's better. So, uh, well, You know what? If you got Matt Murdock out of that, like, yeah. Those it's other guys can go pound sand because, like, <laughs> yeah, Matt's the prize here. <laughs> and, and to be honest, like, you know, it's it's Matt. And I, I say that jokingly, but also, also it's, the whole, it's the whole fandom and so many really good friends. So, like, genuinely... That was very worthwhile. Ah, I love it. I love that. So you got into the Daredevil through the show. Very cool. Which I've seen like half of the first season. I really liked it. I was telling you before we started recording that uh, I really liked it. I fell off a little bit, but I thought it was very cool. Especially because I, I was telling you that I uh, I started reading Daredevil fan fiction before I checked out the show. So I sort of learned about it through osmosis a little bit through the fan fiction and then thought, well, I guess I should at least see what these characters look and talk like, you know. So I went and and checked out the show and all that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I will say, so so when I first started watching it, I was still in college, I think maybe like a sophomore. And I knew at that point that I wanted to go to law school. And I knew that I wanted to go to law school specifically to like to fight sex trafficking. And so the fact that Matt in the second scene is like beating up human traffickers and then he's a lawyer. I was just instantly in love. So that was not a not a hard sell at all for me. Yeah, yeah. I have been thinking about that all week as I've been thinking about this episode of like, wow, you know, like she writes a lot of stuff for Matt Murdock. She's an attorney. Matt's an attorney. What are the chances? Like, what are the odds? You know? But not, not coincidence. Not coincidence. <laughs> right. No, not at all. But I can see why you would have an affinity for this character, you know, because there's like that similarity there. So I can absolutely see why you would be drawn to a character like Matt Murdock. So I can't wait to talk about him a little bit more because uh, I really enjoyed, you know, how you were writing him in the story. And everything. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk about good. that. <laughs> but, um, but Spider-Man, like, you know, you're right that Spider-Man is this huge, expansive, like, thing. And we were joking a little bit how it's, like, technically part of the MCU, but then it's mm-hmm. sort of separate outside of the MCU. Like a stepchild it's like, or something. Yeah, it's like the little stepchild. And it's still owned by Sony, technically. And I think you mentioned that, yeah, there's, like, all these different Spider-Man universes. And we've had like a billion people play Spider-Man at this point and everything. So it can kind of be an intimidating thing to get into at first. So how did you get into Spider-Man? Okay, Team Red. Are you familiar with Team Red at all? No, I don't know what that is. Oh my gosh, it's glorious. So Team Red is established in the comics and it's Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Deadpool. And it's just chaos. It's so funny. Yeah, so those are some of my favorite... um, I think those those were kind of my introduction more back into the world of Spider-Man beyond what I knew from the movies that I that I watched, and so you I would read these like Team Red stories and just fall in love with the dynamic, and so that kind of was my my entryway back into the Spider-Man fandom, like you know um, at large, and and then Peter, no matter what Peter you're talking about, is such a complex character. And you just feel so bad for him because he's just trying to do the right thing and trying to like have a normal life, but still save the day. And you just can never really have both when you're a superhero and a main character. 
so yeah, my heart just goes out to him. <laughs> also, the fact that he's that he's younger is just you know not quite as relatable to me now. I'm like 26, but has historically been more relatable to me. Like, oh yeah, how do you navigate, you know, high school and relationships while also trying to like make a difference in the world? And it's it's hard. Yeah, that is a lot of responsibility for a 17 year old kid. You could even say it's a great responsibility. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just watched that movie last night too so that was that's hilarious that's hilarious so i have to ask you i know this is like a super controversial question for spider-man people right but i have to know (laughs) because there have been so many different like spider-man actors in the various movies that we've gotten for spider-man i have to ask who's your spider-man okay so the one that i'm more familiar with is tom holland Uh uh-huh okay but but so so that's kind of where my mind goes when i think spider-man is tom holland and yet, I think my favorite Spider-Man is actually Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I think he brings... I mean, obviously, Andrew Garfield is just a very likable person in general. So, like, there's that factor. But I really loved his dynamic with May. I've read some people say that they found that, like, really boring or found her too one-dimensional. But I thought it was so sweet. Because he's just... Like I said, he's trying to do the right thing and save the world and also not forget to bring eggs back. And it's just so, <laughs> like, simple and genuine. Yeah. And then he and Gwen is just, it gets my heart. So even though I'm more familiar and exposed to Tom Holland's, I think I think Andrew's my favorite. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know what's funny is I forgot all about Andrew Garfield no. even being Spider-Man <laughs> until I saw the movie last night. I think night. a lot of people did. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, is that Andrew Garfield? And he does such a good job, too. <laughs> like, he just steps back into it, and it's so good. Well, you know, I forgot how alive he was in that role. You know what I mean? That's such a good word to use for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've, I have really have loved all of the different iterations we've seen of Spider-Man. I love Tom Holland. But yeah, like, there was just something about the way that Andrew did it. He was so alive in that role. And, and I had forgotten that till I saw the latest movie last night. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is so cool. But then I always have to say that my heart will always be That's with okay. Tobey Maguire. It's okay. Now, why is that for you? Like, what is it about him? That- because I was a teenager when the first Spider-Man movie came out with Tobey Maguire. And I have this memory of going to the theater with my best friend. And you know how it was when we were teenagers and you'd go to the theater with your best friend and, you know, your mom and dad drop you off and you think yeah. you're such a big kid, you know, <laughs> like hanging out at the theater. And I had my candy and everything and we were oh, just perfect. having a good time. And, and I just remember like looking up at that screen and it was one of my first um, comic book movies that I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have done a pretty good job with a lot of the like MCU based comic book movies where like to me, they just feel so expansive, like yes. so big, like the scale of the story is so big and for some reason I love stories told on this big epic scale. <laughs> I think that's part of the, what draws me to like superhero movies in the first place. It's just the epic scale of the story. Wait, but do you think do you think Tobey Maguire Spider-Man has an has an epic scale? Well, just the just the the concept of superheroing, okay, sure. like just the concept of it to me is an epic scale, but I just really thought that he was just so sweet about it, you know, yeah. like just a very mi- mild mannered, you know, ho hum kind of a nerd, <laughs> you know, and I probably really related to that because I was the nerdiest nerd. 
<sighs> of all the nerds. Um, yeah. Well, it was it was kind of weird. Like I was one of those like trash teenagers too, but also a nerd at the same time. Like mm, that's that's multifaceted. Yeah, like a metalhead nerd, I guess you could say. I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. It was my dirtbag phase. I don't know what to say. No, I was just a straight up nerd. No, no cool edginess attached. Just we would have been friends, man. We would have been friends because that, yeah, anything nerdy, man, that was me. And so, yeah, I think just because I have these like really good memories of just, he was my first Spider-Man and I was a teenager. And so my heart will always belong to Tobey Maguire. <laughs> That's fair. And technically, Andrew Garfield was also my first one. And so I try to like give more substance to my answer. Like, oh, yes, I just really appreciate this dynamic with me and whatever. But also... If I strip that back, like he was also just my first Spider-Man. So that's... Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> that's a factor. That should be a meme somewhere. You'll never forget your first Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm sure that is a meme somewhere. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Okay. That's great. That's great. Oh, I love that. Okay. Okay. So we have to talk about your fan fiction, Hope, right? I actually read the whole thing. What? Before... Well, before oh, okay. I watched the movie. Yeah. Before you... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I did it wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did it wrong. It's all spoiled now. No, well, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't, though, because, okay. like, I actually have this weird thing where if I read a fan fiction about it first and I get all the spoilers, then I'm super thrilled to see okay, it Okay, no, the I'm the same way. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you know what you're getting into and you know that it's going to be a good story because you've right. seen... I mean, you know more likely it's going to be a good story because you've seen kind of what it's inspired and what it's led to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I spoil things for myself all the time. Like the brick scene? In your fan fiction, I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, yeah, okay, brick. And then when it happened in the movie, it was like, like oh, what's that? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I will be honest with you, like, I was not expecting Matt Murdock to show up in this movie. Like, when that happened, I was genuinely shocked, you know? That makes I'm I'm kind of jealous because on the one hand I again I spoil everything for myself like on purpose because it just gives me more security I guess going into it knowing that it's not going to be like a waste of time because I know there are at least good plot points, but then as a result I never quite have that first like startling moment because I knew that Matt was going to show up I knew uh, that Andrew and Toby were going to show up I even knew when May was going to die like I just spoiled <gasps> everything for myself. <sighs> And I can't stop doing that, even though every time I'm like, dang it, now I've lost the chance to like see this for the first time. But just... Well, you know what, though? The thing is that in today's day and age, it's really hard to watch a movie without it being spoiled for it's, you because yeah. it's everywhere. Like you can't go on Twitter. You can't go on Tumblr. You can't go anywhere without mm-hmm. movies being spoiled for you. So I don't even know what to say about <laughs> that. But, but yeah, like I don't mind spoilers myself because it's just kind of a cool thing. Okay. I get thrilled well, when I see all of the little things and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know what that is. So... Yeah, I probably should have like maybe watched the movie before I read your fan fiction. But anyway, like that's, that's just so the way funny. it turned out. But no, like I really loved this fan fiction. And I was wondering, I suspect <laughs> I suspect that uh your fan fiction's probably like you were inspired probably after watching the <laughs> Spider-Man movie. But I want to hear like your version of what happened with the inspiration on this. Like what made you decide to write this particular story? And yeah, why did you want to write it? So what's interesting to me is that I, or I don't know if you looked at any of my other stories, but I had, I have another like work in progress that's Matt being Peter's attorney, kind of leading up to all the events of No Way Home, where where he's being accused of murder and, and terrorism and whatnot. And I was not expecting to come out of this writing a new story because I kind of already had that like Peter and Matt story going. But that one, the the emotional backdrop to that first work in progress is it's basically it's the kind of you know it's the betrayal and the shock of, of Peter's identity being revealed and 
being accused of all these things. And that's it. And that's those are fun emotions to explore, but they're not, I don't know, they're, they're, they're not as deep as others. And so by the end of No Way Home, you have Peter completely alone, and it's kind of his fault, slash he definitely thinks it's his fault. And that's just a lot more depth, and it's something that, what's fun about Matt is that he's... You could almost say he's experienced with that emotion because he like, lives in it constantly. And by the end of his third season, at least on paper, he's gotten to a point where he kind of has a better relationship to those emotions. But it hasn't been tested yet because obviously the, you know, the series stopped after season three. And so I was like, it'll be really fun to see how, how he could, he would definitely want to try to help Peter. The question is, is he actually capable of helping Peter with this specific problem? Because although it's one that he's very familiar with, it's not one that he's mastered. So that was, I think, the inspiration to kind of, to write another Matt Peter fic was to really dig into those emotions and try to figure out how that would play out after seeing where Peter's left at the end of that story. Right, yeah, because that's pretty much where it picks up. It picks up right there, which is perfect because we're all like super devastated at the end of, you know, the events of the movie and everything. And we're like, oh my God, that was so emotional. That was such an emotional experience, right? And it doesn't give you resolution at the end of the movie. Like, Not, yeah. you just, you're like, okay, that's it. All right. Wow. Yeah. It kind of leaves you in that devastated spot where you're just mm-hmm. like, which was a bold heart. storytelling choice. And I love that they did that. Yes. It would have been really contrived. And you couldn't, you could not, that's the thing is you, with where Peter's left off at the end of the movie, you can't kind of restore him, give him resolution from that without it taking like another entire movie. There's just not room to do that and do it, do it justice and do it well. So. Exactly. 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 You know, so in the meantime, we're waiting for the next like movie to resolve all of that mess. In the meantime, we have fan fiction. Exactly. In the meantime, we have brilliant fan fiction that can give us all of the feels. So walk us through real quick what this fan fiction story hope is about. Yeah. So it's funny because initially it was only going to be those first three chapters where it was just bringing Peter to a point of accepting help at literally any level which would have been i think at that point it was just basically getting help with his housing situation and then leaving the door open for it to go farther but then i mean like you said we were all devastated after the movie and so i was getting all these comments on the story and just shout out to everyone who comments on fix ever because it's like there's nothing more inspiring to an author than getting comments and so that kind of i guess like fed the inspiration and i was like okay i I can go farther with this now it doesn't just have to be three chapters but that also meant that I had the chance to kind of explore this idea of hope and accepting help in a much deeper way and then do it in a way that's more multifaceted. Because, again, one thing that I love about fan fiction is that you don't, you're not so much limited by normal genre limitations and like word counts and whatnot. And so you can, you can take a concept like hope, which on the surface can be very simple, but it could also be incredibly complex. And so I started thinking about what that looks like for both Matt and Peter, because now with more space, I can also have Peter kind of turn around and start helping Matt in, in return, which is really fun, especially because like neither of them are really expecting that. This is a long rambly way of saying that what I've landed on um, as the theme that I'm trying to explore with this is the idea of accepting love when you understand that letting someone else love you will hurt them. Because what I've seen in a lot of stories that are kind of like this found family story is... And it's, it's very common, definitely, in the Daredevil fandom, is you basically have this, you know, this hero character this, who, who has the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's just trying to help people, and it's a disaster, and there's trauma, and all this. And you have these supporting characters come along, and they basically say, oh, we love you unconditionally, we're here for you. And the protagonist character eventually comes around to saying, 
okay, I'll accept your unconditional love. And that's a beautiful thing, but I know for myself that that's not really how that works. Because if I get it in my head that loving me is difficult, then someone else's assurances that they will love me unconditionally doesn't actually get at my root concern, which is, okay, you may say that it's unconditional and you may mean it and it may even be true, but is it fair to you and is it worth it to you to love me? To me, that, that's, that's more personal and it's a lot harder to deal with. And so that's what I'm trying to explore with hope. I love that because I picked up on that. Oh, good. <laughs> after I was done <laughs> with reading the chapters that you have here. And that is what stood out to me the most. Really? Is this super interesting dichotomy because I feel like Matt and Peter both have an issue with that yeah. that looks similar. But it manifests in this slightly different way because Peter really, truly believes that everything he touches turns bad eventually. You know, like if Mm -hmm. I get close to you, you are automatically going to have something bad happen to you. You're going to get kidnapped. You're going to get killed. Like something shitty is going to (laughs) happen. And so, you know, like he, I don't know, thinks that there's something wrong with him or something. And so it's almost like he feels like he has this like grave responsibility to stay away from everybody because if I stay away from everybody then I can't get anybody hurt you know and I feel that I feel that and I can absolutely see how he would think that with his life experiences and then you have Matt over here (laughs) who kind of operates the same way like he's very independent person as well and doesn't let anyone get too close for the most part but his thing seemed to be more like I can't let anybody get close to me because everybody leaves, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am so tired of everybody leaving. Which is, yeah, a little bit different. Yeah, a little bit different. But then, like, I don't know, it felt the same, but different. Like, I don't know. And it was just this interesting dichotomy of, like, you know, that dynamic of they want to help each other. (laughs) They do, but they're both struggling so bad (laughs) with these, like, internal issues. And I think that uh, you did a really great job sort of like um, showing the root of those issues for both of them, you know, because these issues very much are rooted in their past personal experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I thought that you did a really great job kind of like guiding us along and helping us to remember the backstories here enough (laughs) to be like, oh, yeah, like yeah, that did happen to them. Oh my God, that's true. I could totally see why they would think that. Oh, good. Okay. Because so one thing that I feel very strongly about as a writer is I think I think it's kind of our job to guide readers to a certain emotional spot based on facts within the story, because it's on the one hand, we're we're trying to tap into these very universal experiences and very universal fears and emotions. And yet, if you jump straight to those emotions without laying the factual foundation, I sound like such a lawyer. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) State your case. (laughs) But if you you lack foundation, then, then the readers, their experience is going to be a lot more shallow. Even if the reader has, in their own background, technically enough experiences to, to get them to that same point. But when you're reading, you're not always going to be thinking back to your own life experiences. And in fact, if you're really engaged in the story, you, like, you wouldn't be because you're thinking about the characters. And so it's, I feel like it's really, it's really important to be able to do that. But it's also tricky to do that in a way that's not just rehashing the facts that everybody already knows. Like You have to do it in a way that is emotional while also leading you to a different emotional endpoint, which is the, the kind of the conclusion of, you know, I, I can't let anyone love me because I'll hurt them or I can't let anyone love me because they'll leave. So I'm really happy they picked up on that. And also, can I just, can I keep rambling for a second? Please, can, yes. Okay. I'm really happy that you picked up on the slight differences between them 
because okay so in like western cultures and western storytelling we tend to be very linear very a to b to c beginning middle conclusion and that really only works very well for exploring one maybe maybe two concepts at a time if you can like really have some good parallels going on but you can't you can't do a lot of different angles of an issue and yet that's what I like to do. So I know um, in certain like Eastern and Middle Eastern cultures, their their version of storytelling is more circular, where you kind of explore different facets of an idea to bring you to like the root of that idea. And I I love that because it gives you so much more so much more nuance, so much more depth, um, and it's more relatable to me because I think in real life, I t- for example, take the idea of, of forgiveness. Right, I might understand at some level what it means to like forgive an enemy. But what does it mean to forgive a friend? What does it mean to forgive myself? What does it mean to to forgive, a, like, you know, say a friend who hurts me intentionally versus one who hurts me unintentionally? And just yes. different angles, right? And so I like to kind of try to tap into all of those things. And the, the danger, though, of doing that is that it can feel, especially in a Western culture where we're used to things being a lot more, a lot more linear and to the point, is it can feel kind of redundant to have characters making what looks like the same mistake or or learning the same lesson and like to me it's slightly different but i'm always worried that it won't that other people won't see the difference they'll, they'll just be like why are we going over the same issue again so i'm really happy that with matt and peter who are very similar so similar that it's at least for you it's not coming across as redundant because you're you're picking up on those slight differences between them so Thank you so much for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. It wasn't redundant at all. And I'm the same way as a reader. Yes. You know, like, I love, like, my example, every time that I talk about this concept, mm-hmm. is um, my example is always love, you know, oh. because there are different types, right? And it comes up in your life in all of these different situations and all of these different interesting facets. Yes. And it took, when I realized that I was here experiencing all of these different types of love coming at me from all over the place, you know, and it was kind of my job to like explore that and figure it out and be like, okay, what does this kind of love mean? And what Mm -hmm. does this kind of love mean? And what is, oh, oh, look at that over there. That's love too. Right. I I didn't recognize it before. And oh my God. Because English is a really, really stupid language and we only have like one word for things and I hate it so much. Sorry, English. Yes. Yes. English is, it's so funny because English is beautiful and also so restrictive. And so like, I have a hard time with it myself when I'm trying to describe like very spacey, esoteric, you know, my brother-in-law, I love to sit and debate and talk about like really Mm -hmm. spacey stuff. And sometimes we'll be sitting there and we'll just look at each other and we'll go, ah, we can't find the words to describe what we're trying to say. And it's like horrible. One of, okay. So one of my stories, not this one, but a different one, you know, I love, I love the character of, of Father Lantham, especially because in, I don't know if you got this far, but in the show, he starts talking about like a, a Hebrew, original Hebrew word. Because obviously like, the Bible for most Catholics written, at least like in the United States, it's in English now. And it's one of like a million different English translations. But Father Lantham goes back to the original Hebrew. And I love that because Hebrew is the most gorgeous language. And then you've got like Greek for the New Testament, which is a lot more technical. Um, not really as beautiful, but the lawyer in me loves it because it's very precise. Uh, but so I've got one scene where Father Lantham is trying to explain a concept to Matt of how God loves him. And it's a word that we don't, we, English does not have a word for it. It's, it's a positive version of like flinching, where it's like this automatic negative response, but this is like a positive version of that. Like when you see like your puppy and you just like can't help but move towards it. And it's not, the whole point is that it's not this like effortful, calculated, mm, are you really worth it kind of love. It's this just like reactionary, instinctive 
love, but we don't have a word for it. And it's so frustrating. So I spent like a whole chapter trying to explain it. Why don't we have a word for that, people? Because English is the worst language ever. What the hell? That's beautiful. Why don't we have a word for that? Because we all know that experience, whether it's like for your kid, for your pet, for your best friend, for a sunset, whatever. Like we all have that, that, that sense of like this just automatic deep love and yeah and joy that instinctive yeah. yearning that mm-hmm. where your body just moves towards the, mm-hmm. the other person and you can't even help it yeah and english do you see how many words you took to describe that it's terrible i know and it wasn't <laughs> even that beautiful so it was you said yearning that's beautiful damn you english <laughs> yeah it's okay okay yearning is a great word <laughs> But no, like the restrictive English aside, though, like (laughs) I really loved the way that like you had some really beautiful parts in here where like even though you're describing things, uh, I don't want to use the word redundant because it wasn't, but um, like reappearing themes, you know, in the story. But you would do it in a different way with a different perspective using different words. And um. And it was just really interesting to me because I feel like it really helped me to get to know these characters on a level that I had not done before. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because oh, like, so I mean, cool. you know, I had told you before the recording that I was kind of like more peripherally <laughs> to <laughs> these two fandoms. And so like, I know these characters on a very like surface level. So it was very interesting to me to discover via your fan fiction that Matt... <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to laugh right now at Matt. <sighs> that's like... <laughs> that's that's how it is. Though. That's how it is. Because now you have to bring Peter back into it. Because like Peter, it was just very interesting to see the way Peter saw himself. Because like he's weighed down by all of this responsibility. And he's having a shitty time right now because he's just lost everything. And he's having a really hard time. And I get that. Especially being like a 17-year-old kid and you're scared. You're out in the world by yourself. So I felt like Peter's struggles with his own guilt because he feels very guilty about a lot of the stuff that happened. That's a very different struggle than... Uh, having how shall I put this whereas Matt on the other hand seems to have some internalized um self-incrimination issues that is an amazing way to put that yeah like his is more like deep-rooted he's older you know he's had time I guess to internalize all this stuff yeah Peter's is a lot more based on here are these facts that have happened to me therefore this is what must be true of me and Matt doesn't even have to, like, go to specific facts anymore. He's just like, this is true of me. Yeah, yeah. He just accepts it and internalizes it. Like, there's this one part in your story where he's thinking about his grandmother and how his grandmother told him, like, <laughs> he has the devil in him or something. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. She's the true villain of the Daredevil series. <laughs> Let's be real. He believes it, though. Like, he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I do. I have this darkness in me, and I don't know what to do with that. He has every Imagine Dragon song personified. Yeah, he's like the emo. <laughs> superhero that we all wanted and needed but yeah that was interesting to me like the difference there where poor Matt's is so it's so rooted and internalized and um but it was just it was so sweet I loved watching these two interact because Matt being older with more resources really wants to help the kid and I get that you know I totally get that instinct and impulse to do that but I thought it was really sweet that like even Peter who's coming from nothing right Mm -hmm. he still has this urge to like try to help Matt back see that's why Matt and Peter are my two favorite superheroes is because they it's not I mean every hero on some level like wants to help people but I think with them you see them take it 
just to, to another level. And I don't know if it's because just because they're kind of more street level, which to me always feels more personal. Like they actually know the people they're helping are like sticking around to, to kind of see it through instead of just, I mean, you saw some of my, Matt slash my opinions about the Avengers a little bit in the story. That yeah, they just kind of, they, yeah. they swoop in and wreak havoc and then may or may not ever come back to fix it. But even, you know, destruction aside, there's just that side of, you know, Matt and Peter aren't cooped up in Avengers Tower waiting for an emergency. Like every day they're out proactively trying to help people. And so it just, it just seems like that, that need to help people is, to me, it seems like it's rooted a little bit deeper with them. And that's why I love them so much. Yeah, it's a very like grassroots kind of thing because like the Avengers as much as I love them it's a very corporate venture right you know like it's you know you got all the flash you got all the technology you got all the you know money behind it and it's like crazy shit but these two are just like you know your average Joes from Queens and Hell's Kitchen out there in like athletic shirts and sweatpants exactly that they sew themselves on a Mm -hmm. like freaking sewing machine you know with like fabric they probably got at the Michaels or something and, uh, and that's it, you know? And so these are, like, more of the people's heroes, you know? And they yeah. actually have jobs that they go to, like, during the day. <laughs> right, yeah, they, which is a whole other facet when it comes to trying, like, the, just the stresses that they're under and their responsibilities and trying to balance. Like, they, you know, you can you can kind of explore with the other heroes what it's like to balance two lives, but not, I think, again, just, like, not to the same intensity as with Matt and Peter, who really do have non-superhero lives that they have to you know, norm, like all for the rest of us, that'd be our entire life is just, you know, being a lawyer, being a high school student. You can't imagine trying to do that and also be a superhero. Exactly. It made me wonder, like, um, when do these folks have time to sleep? I was wondering that <laughs> because, like, if they're superheroing at night and going to jobs and school during the day, like, where, amigos, are you, like, having time to sleep, yo? One, like... of, my, one of my friends in a Discord asked me that or asked in, in the Discord, like, Probably once a week is when, when do they sleep? When, when do they actually? When do they eat food? When it's do, a legitimate they, question. It is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I found myself wondering that as I was reading this story. Like, that's so cool that they're doing all this cool shit. But like, holy cow! But yeah, like I also loved. I think that you know, obviously, found family. One of my favorite tropes of all time. So the fact that they are like trying to make this work, right? Because Peter moves in with Bad, and they're trying to. It's kind of like a mentor-mentee kind of thing, but mm-hmm. deeper than that, I think it's going to develop into something like, you know, more familial and everything than that at some point. But it was just really cool to see them both deal with their fears about that, you know, because they both have so much fear behind like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing right by this other person? Am I screwing up their life even more? (laughs) You know, like they have so much fear and guilt about what they're trying to do and how they're trying to help each other. And it was just really sweet to see them so earnestly trying to do the right things in their own ways and struggling with that because that was so human to me. Like, oh, I would, if I was in Matt's place, I would be thinking the exact same things that he was thinking. I think that makes you a very good person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also shows just how bad I am with kids. Like I would (laughs) legitimately probably screw Peter up if I took him in and adopted him. So (laughs) yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's funny for me writing this because I was convinced that I hated kids for the longest time because I didn't have any younger siblings or much exposure to them. And then I ended up being a camp counselor and like never stopped doing that for years. And just was sort of forced into the role of like, oh, I'm I'm a mentor now. People are looking up to me. Oh, I should probably make like good life choices and learn how to like respond with empathy. 
And it's the kind of thing that if I'd waited until I was ready, I would never have done it. And so it's really fun to see both Matt and Peter, again, because I think their need is to, is to help people. And so they're going to try it even if they don't know exactly what they're doing. And even if they know they don't know exactly what they're doing. But they have better to try than to do nothing. And I think that's so admirable. So reason number like 1002 why I love them. Yes. No, there was this line in this fan fiction that I pulled out that kind of like encapula- encapsulates. Well, I can't say I can't say that word. Encapu- encap- no, I'm not, I'm not going to say that word. Encaps- Damn it. <laughs> that is a really hard word. Encapsulate. You know what? Let me try a different word. I pulled out... <laughs> I pulled out a line from this fan fiction that really captures, I think, what you just said there. Um, it was Matt talking, and he's trying to communicate it to Peter, right, his fears. You can pause at Matt trying to communicate, because that's also... Yeah, and he's so bad at communicating, by the way. They both are. But he's them. trying so hard to communicate to Peter, like, I'm scared. I feel like I'm going to screw you up. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. But then he says, but you're worth it, and I choose you anyway. Ugh. At the end of all that, he, he's like, yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm probably going to mess this up a thousand times, but you're worth it. I choose you anyway. And I thought that was so beautiful. I loved that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. So absolutely, I recommend everybody check this fan fiction out, right? Like, it's so good. And it's still a work in progress. Yeah. Still a work in progress. You just recently posted the most recent chapter. So we are looking forward to more. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, speaking of Matt Murdock, um, Matt Murdock and you share the same profession. You're both attorneys. Yeah. I was just kind of wondering what that's like as an attorney to write fan fiction for a character who's also an attorney. What is that like? It's so fun because first and foremost, it adds a layer to everything I do in my professional life. It just adds some fun to it because no matter how boring this hearing might be or researching case law or whatever I'm doing, there's always part of my brain that's like, oh, maybe this will be useful for a fic one day. And often it it is, especially because the legal world is really great for storytelling because it's just rooted in conflict. And so so there's a lot of inspiration to be found there. And so it's that it just makes my real world life more fun. But also I think one thing that's really special to me is that I know that in the Daredevil fandom, we love Lawyer Matt, as we call him. And there are a lot of people who would happily watch the whole show if it was only Matt doing lawyer stuff and you didn't even have Daredevil or you didn't have all this, you know, ninjas and and other crazy things going on. And so naturally, that also means that a, a good chunk of the fandom will happily read legal stories. And yet there's just... You know, it's kind of, um, it takes a lot of privilege to be able to go to law school and then also have time to write stories. And so I see it as kind of a way that I can give something to the fandom that not a lot of people can give, but that a lot of people want. And so that just is really special to me. Like I wrote one one story, just like a one shot that was literally only Matt cross-examining someone. And I was, I was sitting <laughs> for the bar and I was stressed. Yes. I was like, I'm just going to write this. And I didn't expect much of it, but people were like, wow, like we... We love seeing Matt do his lawyer stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. People people really like this. Even if there's not like a giant plot attached, they just like the legal stuff. So so it just feels very it's it's a blessing really to be able to have kind of this niche this niche area where I can give people something that they want. Yes, yes. You are uniquely suited to contribute in that very specific way. I think that's so cool. I got a kick out of the legal jargon that <laughs> okay. was thrown around in this story because because I'm, I'm familiar with it because of what I do. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. like <laughs> It was just very cool to see. And I, it just got me thinking like, oh, that's super, super cool. And that will kind of uh, 
I'll circle back to that a little bit with uh, one of these next questions. But yeah, did you have something you want to add there? Oh, yeah. Just so what's also really cool about it is so in the last in July, so very recently, I started working as a prosecutor before I'd been clerking for my judge. Some of my Tumblr followers know about my judge. He's awesome. But I'm now a prosecutor, which is obviously really interesting because Matt's a defense attorney. And personally, I really appreciate that because I want I mean, there's there are there's a lot to be said about issues of prosecution um, that I could devote like a whole podcast or essay to. But in short, I want to find a way and find ways to kind of inject mercy into a system that's more naturally focused on justice. And writing from Matt's perspective and, and researching things that would come up as a defense attorney, I think has helped kind of keep that perspective so I don't get too stuck in the prosecutor world. And so that's another, I guess, benefit to, to me from writing for a defense attorney That's that I just really appreciate. So Wow. Wow. I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. No. Yeah. That sounds like a TED Talk. I think you, you should write that all up into a TED Talk <laughs> and give that one day because that is so interesting, right? That like, you know, your love of this particular fandom and this particular character and your experience with fan fiction and the fandom world. Again, it's translating into your real life where it has real world applications, real world applications that are beneficial to society because we could all use a little mercy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Thank you again for sharing that. That's amazing. So I have to ask, and I know that the story's not over yet. You have plenty to go, hopefully, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so many. So many. Yeah. <laughs> But so far in what you've written and posted so far, what scene from this fic are you the most proud of? So before posting the most recent chapter, I would have said, and this is like so random, but there's a scene where, where Peter is is um is fixing the printer at Matt's office. Yes. And I'm really proud of that scene because one, it's it's Peter helping Matt, which was one of the really fun things about expanding the story. It was trying it was getting to kind of flip it around. And obviously fixing a printer isn't dealing with any of Matt's most severe issues, but it's still kind of giving Peter some of that agency back and restoring that part of himself that's so important, which is which is helping people. But then also at a really technical level, it's really hard to write dialogue that's interspersed with action in a way that doesn't feel stilted. And yet as a reader, you'd always, I think, pretty much always rather read dialogue when there's action, not just two people talking. And so, and I don't know anything about printers. So I like had to Google stuff about printers and try to find a problem and a solution that was like simplistic enough that it wouldn't take a whole paragraph to explain. <laughs> and then, and then try to like go back and forth with the dialogue and then Peter's internal thoughts about the printer, which is also really fun with him because with his anxiety, he's very, I mean, Matt also is actually very avoidant, but Peter's definitely very avoidant too. And so kind of using the printer as like a shield from some of Matt's more probing kind of comments. And anyway, it was just like technically, at a technical level, it was a difficult scene, but I got some really nice comments on it. So I think it worked. And then, but then after posting the last chapter, I think that's really the scene that I'm, that I'm most proud of because I was so worried about it, which I said repeatedly in the author's notes, because, you know, there's a lot going on in that scene. And, and especially the thing that I was worried about was Matt's line, um, which I don't remember exactly like word for word, but it was essentially saying like, Everything that I went through, that I've gone through, that's happened to me, I would go through it again if it helps me understand you. And what was risky, I guess, about that line is that I don't want to suggest that the things that Matt went through, which is genuine, legitimate trauma, I don't want to suggest that that was good. But I also wanted to make clear that it was something that he saw, like he, he saw, essentially, like he saw that badness kind of be redeemed 
and that there is good that came of it. And I know for me personally, when I look back at my own life, there are things that I've gone through that I would never wish anyone else to go through. But in a sense, I'm, I'm thankful for having gone through it myself because it's given me more compassion for other people and an ability to kind of walk with someone else through a hard time. And so that's a very real thing for me, but I also don't want to suggest to someone else that like they have to feel that way about their own experiences. So I was just really nervous about that one, that one line in the whole chapter. And I think it turned out okay insofar as I haven't gotten any angry comments and I have gotten some, <laughs> some nice comments, including ones that kind of, that mentioned that line specifically and said that that, that line was meaningful for them. So at least for some people it worked. <laughs> so I'm proud of that now. Oh, I love it. No, I really love that last uh, most recent chapter, too. I loved that they finally had a chance to actually communicate with <laughs> right? each other, you know? With actual words. Well, yeah, because, like, you know, it's funny. I think there must be a tag for this, but I can't think of it now off the top of my head. But you know that particular kind of angst that you get in fan fiction based off of miscommunication and misunderstanding? Yeah. Uh, that's, like, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you definitely have that in the story because like they don't communicate very well for a while no. <laughs> which is funny because they kind of think at least matt like sort of thinks he does because he's a lawyer so he kind of thinks that he's like but he's not <laughs> he's so no bad. no yeah neither of them are communicating very well so it was like super cool to finally see them kind of sit down and like you know clear the air a little bit and actually kind of like communicate what was going on internally you know although that's the tricky thing about that scene is that peter peter didn't communicate very much he mostly Not sat really. there in a ball <laughs> so there's that's and that's why there are still so many chapters to go because <laughs> good for matt he's made progress but peter is gonna have to figure out how to deal with everything matt said and then turn around and communicate his own feelings and that's that's going to be a bit of a journey because he's he was kind of stuck right Exactly. Exactly. But he will, though. I just have this feeling that he will. And it'll be so fantastic. But yeah, no, it was a fantastic, fantastic new chapter. So I loved it. I was hoping that you could tell us just a little bit about like your writing process and where my brain was going when Mm -hmm. I was writing or when I was planning on asking this is, you know, we talked before the show about how I have worked with lots of attorneys in my career. So I know that it can be like the type of work that's very time consuming. Right. Right. And uh, there's a lot that goes into it and everything. And so I think it's just so impressive that, you know, you have this career and everything and you also have the time to write fan fiction, which is amazing. And I was just wondering, when you write, are you just kind of writing whenever the fancy strikes you or do you have to like pencil it in, like (laughs) schedule it in right Mm -hmm. around the other things that you have to do? Like, what does that look like for you? Right. Yeah. So I will say, first and foremost, that if I waited to write when, like, the fancy struck, I would almost never write. Or I'd write, like, you know, a scene and then stop. So <laughs> you really, I really have to be a lot more intentional with it. But I wouldn't say I have a set time of day because I think that would stress me out. Because then I would be, like, waiting for, like, the clock to hit, you know, 6 p.m. or whatever. And I would go, oh, no, now I have to write. <laughs> right, so, right. I mean, sometimes I'll do, like, uh, sprints with people in, like, in my discords. And so that can be really fun. And that obviously has a set time. And even then, sometimes I'm like, oh, dang it. I said I would sprint today. Okay. <laughs> um, I just don't like being forced to do things at certain times, I guess. But, no, I, in all honesty, sometimes, like, at work, if there's a, a lull, I'll jot something down. But a lot of it is... Yeah, I guess, I don't know, I come home and I 
and I just write, but I don't like tell myself that I have to come home and write, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That makes absolute perfect sense. So like, okay, follow-up question then. Are you the type of person that spends a lot of time thinking about what you're going to write before it actually happens? Because I know that (laughs) I was talking to this one writer one time and they told me that they feel like a lot of their writing process actually happens in their head before it ever like comes mm-hmm. out on the page, you know? And they were like, actually, while I'm at work, they said, my brain is constantly like thinking about the story and the characters. And so by the time I get back home, you know, and I have some time to sit down and write, I kind of know where I'm going a little bit here because yeah. I've had time to think about it. And I was just kind of wondering, does that happen to you too? Or do you not have a lot of time to think about <laughs> like this stuff when you're at work? Because, you know, I would understand that if that was the case. But I'm just kind of wondering what that looks like for you. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Because I definitely know that if I sit down to write and I haven't thought about it ahead of time, it's just not going to be as good. And so I do have to kind of carve out that time to think about it. A lot of it is or has historically been as I'm falling asleep. But that's not great because either I fall asleep and forget it or I have this like impulsive compulsion almost to, to get up and write it down. And then, of course, I'm not tired anymore and then I never sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now what I'll do, especially if I know that I have like a, kind of a difficult scene coming up or if I know that I'm I don't know if other writers are this way, but I can kind of feel when I'm hitting the end of like, OK, you know, when, like you're playing a game and it's got like. It's an old game with bad visuals where, like, there's that fog on the horizon. Oh, yeah. So I can kind of feel when I'm coming up to that point with a story where I'm like, ah, I don't exactly know what comes next. I don't exactly know. How. Maybe I, I try to always know, like, where I want my characters to end up. I think that's really important. But I don't always know how I'm going to get them there exactly. And so when I start hitting those points, that's where I, I need to have the discipline to walk away and sort of just think about it and ruminate on it. And so going for a walk is usually the best way to do that for me or the shower <laughs> but then it's hard to sometimes take notes in the shower although I've heard that there are like waterproof sticky notes there are I saw them at Amazon um <laughs> 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 no that's so cool you know that you kind of know yourself you know as a writer to be like oh okay I gotta you know maybe do something with my body right now so that my well I mean the difficult thing so like I know that about myself but sometimes I'm like nah I'll just keep going and that's usually <laughs> when like I, I force it and then the story takes a weird turn and then I have to go back and like fix it. I'm like, God, why'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, oh. And then are you familiar? Are you familiar with the terms like uh, plotter and pantser? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of a mix with those where it's really important to me to have an outline because like I said, I kind of need to know where the characters end up. I need to know what their arcs are, because, especially because not so much with hope because hope is more focus on the internal conflict but on other stories that have an internal and external conflict like I really care about trying to have those be as parallel as possible and complementing one another and so mapping that out in an outline is really important but I also know that if I outline too much then all my creativity goes into the outline and not into the story so there's a, there's a sweet spot in there which I think means I'm technically what's what's the hybrid term I have always wondered what the hybrid term is because no one's ever told me okay there is one and it's gonna drive me crazy it's the plot plotster no. Is it? Well, that almost <laughs> sounds it. That almost sounds right. I'm going to Google it. That's, I don't know. Pl- I should plant, look it up. Planter? That can't be it. No. <laughs> Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a plant. Planter, I think. I don't know. Planter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that's what I am. Oh, I love that, though. I feel like that's probably a good sweet spot to be in, you know, because you have enough wiggle room 
to kind of, you know, if you want to take it, interesting places that you didn't plan on, you can, but you still have like that guide, you know, that yeah. map. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, what you said about interesting directions is the other thing, because when you're working with characters that are, as, are fleshed out enough, they can go so many different directions. And so you have to find that balance between not, I see this advice all the time, and I'm just going to shout out to writers like, don't follow this advice is my strong opinion. But people say that writing should just be basically like you set the characters free and you just narrate what they do. And I'm like, that's fine if you want your story to be a sequence of events. But if you want your story to have any kind of cohesion or theme to it, you have to have more control over the characters because they'll do, they could do too many things and it could derail everything. And like Matt and Peter, if I let them, would derail everything because one of them would get shot and then the other one would like run away to Canada. And I mean, Matt wouldn't go to Canada because he has to go to, actually, no, neither of them would go to Canada because they're too tied to New York. But, you know, they would never talk to each other again. And that would just, (laughs) like, you have to have some control over them. But you also have to have the freedom to let them, to kind of have those moments where, like, they say or do something that's totally unexpected, but that's very real. And those, those moments often just, you know, from getting feedback from comments, those are some of the ones that seem the most authentic because it, because it is, it's not scripted out ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that sweet spot between the two seems to be good for a lot of people. You know, it's just, it's so fascinating to me. I love talking to to writers because it's just so fascinating to me how different personality types and different minds approach the same type of work in like myriads of different ways. And it's just amazing to me. That's one of the beauties of the of the the fandom community is that I, you know, I'm in discords and on Tumblr with other writers. Um, and so we'll talk about, about how we'd approach different scenes and how we approach our stories. And it's just... Like, I'm a very opinionated person, so I definitely have, like, my way, and no one's really gonna <laughs> gonna be able to persuade me to try much else, because I know that's working. But it's really fun to hear the other other perspectives, and then if I ever write with someone, which I've done, I've tried that a couple times in different ways, then it's just interesting to see how, like you said, we're all approaching the same thing, but very differently. Yeah, it's beautiful to me. Beautiful, the variations that we have in this human experience. Say, I love humanity. I know. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's just so interesting. And so pure and wholesome. And- it is. Now, speaking of other writers, last question of the day for you. Do you have any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast today? Yes. Although, as a disclaimer, I tend to focus more on stories than the authors, which is really bad of me as an author. So I was going to say, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but I have a post on my Tumblr somewhere that I can dig up. That's because someone had asked me for like fic recommendations. And so I can I can pull that out and, and maybe send that to you or if you wanted to share that or I'll just reblog it with that. Anyway, so so most of what I focus on are the individual stories. But I also know that there are definitely some writers that I really admire and just have fun with. And so one of them is Artemis J. Potter, who's fairly new to the to the Daredevil writing scene, but she's one of my really good friends, like in Discord online, not just in writing, and also her stories are really good. So definitely shout out to her. And then I talked I've talked a lot, I think, on, on Tumblr and in some of my stories about Ash Villain, who has this like giant Matt slash original character story, which took me forever to actually start reading it because I'm wary of those because I don't know, it's they're not always the highest quality to me, and yet this one is so good. It's like five hundred thousand words. So if you're bored and want to read, want to just get completely lost in a story for like a whole entire day or more days, then you should read Ash Villain because it's it's huge. It's so big, and it's still going. So it'll get even bigger. And then and then okay, I don't think I don't think they're actually posting things anymore. I haven't seen anything from them in a long time. But there's an author called I believe it's Shy Day. 
and they have the most amazing wump for the Daredevil fandom. And then I and I cannot pronounce this name. I'm sorry in advance, but gosh, how do you? I don't know. I'm gonna be so embarrassed to even try to pronounce it. It's like Jin Janiki or something. I don't know. But they they if you if you search for like Team Red, they have a ton of really good Team Red stories. Again, that's kind of what kind of pulled me back into like the Peter Parker world is reading some of their fics about about the these three characters who are just so different, trying trying to work together. So there are so many really good writers in the Daredevil fandom. Honestly, there are so many. <laughs> there are though. There are. I love that about all of the different fandoms that I ever get into because like it doesn't matter where you go, right? Every fandom is gonna have like these epic writers in there that just like Mm -hmm. oh my god that just oh it's this beautiful thing. You're like I'm blessed just to read your work. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, and that's maybe for me that's half the fun when I'm like in a you know in a fairly new fandom for me new for me is like oh let's go searching for gold and so you go looking you know and it's half the fun is finding like the really great stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and you're just like struck gold. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So thanks for those shout outs. We'll make sure that uh, we stick those up on the show notes so people can go check everybody out. That's awesome. Ceteris Paribus, thank you so much for being here today and for taking the time out to join us and talk about Daredevil and Spider-Man. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. Awesome. The pleasure was all mine. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and i will see you next episode in the meantime keep on rolling